Okay. Uh, we do have uh, our, our zero to fours inside uh, today. Um, we were all babies once, and someone listened to us cry. It's our turn. Um, if you guys have a Bible with you, uh, we are our main text today is going to be we're still in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. But I wanted to, uh, you know, because sometimes we, we may kind of think like when we hear Ten Commandments as like, hey, these are the ten things I need to do well enough to like make God love me and give me eternal life. That's that's not what they are. In, in Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul tells us this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has, uh, loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So what the Ten Commandments are, the, the heart of them, the heart of God's law, is love. It's God guiding us in how we are to live lives of love in practical terms. And so um, a couple of uh, uh, disclaimers. I'm going to be flipping around the Bible a lot today. Uh, so unless you're fast text will be on the screen and you can just follow along that way. Also, um, this, is a, this is a marriage-centric sermon, given the nature of the commandment. Uh, for, for some, it's like, you know, if you're not married, don't want to be married, uh, you know, you, you hear a marriage-centric sermon and, and say, am I supposed to be here? The answer is yes. We don't ordinarily do uh, marriage-centric sermons. It's uh, um, and, and, you know, we're not building community without singles in mind. We, we very much do. Uh, it's just the nature of what this commandment is. And so let, let's read the commandment together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Please pray with me. Lord, as we look at your commandments, I pray, God, that we would delight in your law as it shows us the path of love. And I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to walk it. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you guys have kids, and some of you guys grew up on the story of The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. For those of you who don't know The Giving Tree, I have the cover here. It'll make you cry right now. Some of you guys are getting misty. Uh, for those of you who don't know the story of The Giving Tree, it's a beloved children's classic about a self-centered boy who murders a tree. Um, which is really, you guys who don't know the story, it starts with this little boy in this tree, the, the titular tree. Um, and it starts out, they have this great relationship. He climbs her, he swings from her branches, eats her apples, rests in her shade, and the tree is happy. And then the boy gets older, he becomes a teenager, no longer wants to do those things, and asks the tree for money instead. And the tree says, I don't have any money, you can have my apples and sell them. Gives him her apples, he sells it, comes back later, and she he's, he's now like a, a young man, and he wants to have a, a family, so he needs a house. He's like, can you give me a house? And she says, no, but I can give you my branches. And so he takes her branches, builds a house, comes back years and years later, and he's, you know, late middle age and bitter. And uh, she says, hey, climb, and, and, and 
well, I don't have any more branches. I gave them to you, but climb and rest in the shade. And he's like, ah, things didn't work out so good with my family. Uh, I just want to get far away from here. Can you get me away from here? And she says, well, you could cut down my trunk and build a boat out of it. And so he does that, and he goes away for a long time, and he comes back really old and really hacked off, and, and she's nothing but a stump. And she says, oh, she's so excited to see him. And, and she's like, yeah, I, I would say climb, but I don't have a trunk. He's like, I'm too old to climb. And she's like, I'd say eat an apple, but I don't have any. And he's like, I haven't got any teeth. And, and she's like, well, what, what, what do you want? And he says, I, I'm just tired and nothing. My life has sucked. He doesn't say that, but that's, that's the gist of it. He's an awful guy. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and he says, I just, I just want to rest. And she says, well, a stump is good for that. And so at the end, he sits on her and it says, and the tree was happy. Okay. And this is held up sometimes as like, this is love. That's not love. You know what we call that? That's abuse, guys. When, when someone, when you're in a love relationship where someone is just ripping the other person down until they're just a stump, that's not love. For lack of a, I don't have a better word for it, but in this sermon, I'm going to call it selfish love, which is a contradiction in terms like jumbo shrimp, okay? <laughs> but the thing is, is this, is a lot of our understanding of what love is. A lot of the time we approach relationships, we treat other people, and marriage is no exception, we treat it as a consumer and we consume, okay? We, we treat, especially marriage, gets treated like a bargain. Am I getting the things I want at a price I want to pay? Like, when I think back on my friends and I, you know, talking about who we'd want to marry or date, it sounds like we're talking about buying a car. It's like, well, it has to be the right size, has to be the right age, has to be the right color, has to do all the things I like doing, go to the mountain, take, you know, fit my drum kit, that sort of thing. <laughs> right? And, 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 and ladies do the same thing, has to be this tall, has to make this much money, and the rest of it. Right? We, we often can approach romantic relationships with a very consumeristic mentality. And my needs are going to get met. Are my hobbies going to be given priority? Is my career going to be given priority? Am I going to get what I want? Am I going to get as much sex as I want? And the rest of it, we lean in to another person for them to give us the optimal set of experiences, whether that's feelings or whether that's lifestyle. And when that person becomes more trouble than they are upside, we'll move on. I don't need to tell you guys that we are not a nation of thriving marriages. Why is that? It's because people don't like their bargain. Now, I don't need to tell you guys this, but when a marriage dissolves, when there's a divorce, it doesn't just affect those people, does it? The, the thing that we don't realize in our individualistic society is that we aren't isolated individuals. That, that, that a marriage touches everyone in that community. And when marriages break up, 
it actually pulls the community apart. They're the glue of community. Right? You got some of you guys have experienced this. You've experienced a group of friends or a church or whatever actually somewhat pull apart, divide, get less strong because of a marriage falling apart. Also, some of you guys are, your parents, like my parents, split up. The stats on, on what divorce does to children, like I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but the rates of criminality, of, of, uh, of hard drug use, of risky behavior, and the rest of it skyrocket among children of divorced parents. It isn't, just the, 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 it isn't just the people in the marriage that are affected. You know what, you know what might be the worst thing? If, if we're leaning into our marriages selfishly, which ends up destroying it, is that a good marriage, single people, hear this, about to be married people, hear this. A good marriage is one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest joys that, that God has for us. It's one of the most transformative experiences. It's one of the most healing and comforting experiences that we can have. To be truly known and truly loved, right? Like, like we're very free with, oh, I love everybody, but that's cheap, isn't it? Like someone who doesn't know you, you know, you're at a Taylor Swift concert and she's like, I love you to all, you know, 100,000 people who are watching the show. It's like, no, oh, Taylor loves me. I feel great about myself. She doesn't know you. She might really love you, but she doesn't know you at all. It, it, to, to, to be loved and not known is sentimentality. Uh, that's not what heals us. That's not what gives our, that makes life worth living. To be known and not loved it's devastating, and that's happened to a lot of us. We bear wounds from that. But to be truly known and truly loved is one of the most healing experiences a human being can have. And, and, and one of the, like, the way God drew up the play, when we look at Genesis 2, the second chapter, that's before the fall, guys, we see the, the, the first marriage. Genesis 2.24 says this, after, after the creation of woman, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Marriage isn't a bargain, it's a bond. It, it, it's two people joining themselves together. And of course, the one flesh refers to sex, but it also, that is a, that is a picture of what's happening to the people. The, the people in the marriage is that they share this deep bond. How do we get that? How do we walk in God's vision for marriage? How do we leave behind selfish love? Well, Romans 5, chapter 6, or Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How's that bargain? Right? Is Jesus looking at us and saying, What am I gonna get in this deal? No, instead, people who are in open rebellion against him. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for them. That's what true love does. It doesn't ask, what am I going to get? Right? It simply sees, it sees the, the beloved and does whatever is necessary 
Jesus loved us selflessly. And we are to love one another as Christ loved us. That is the heart of the seventh commandment. Now, we've, we've talked about the Ten Commandments like a dartboard. Right? The Apostle Paul, we just read, he said that the heart of the law, the fulfillment of the law is love. That's the bullseye. That's a big bullseye, by the way. I feel like even I can hit that one. <laughs> but when we play darts, we're aiming for the middle. We're aiming for love. We may not hit it because we are fallen. In fact, most of the time we're not going to hit it. Scratch that. We're never going to hit it because even at our best, there's selfish, uh, there's selfish love mixed in there. But the, the, the command not to commit adultery is, is, the, is hitting the wall. It's breaking it, right? It's you're so far away from love that like this is, this is the breach of it. And then there's, there's keeping it. So that's how we're going to go through it is what does it mean to break the seventh commandment, keep it, and then fulfill it in love. The, the, the wall is selfish love of which adultery is an extreme example, right? And so... Uh, when we look throughout the Bible, we see that that selfish love can, first of all, be external actions. Proverbs 6.32 says this, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Right? Um, and and that is, that's when we think of the seventh commandment. That's what we're thinking of, the, the actual act of adultery. And, of course, it is incredibly self-centered and self-destructive. It's to be avoided. Uh, but Jesus actually says that we can also break the seventh commandment in our internal desires. Matthew 5, 27 through 28 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so selfish love can also be the internal desires. And those of us who are feeling good about ourselves, when I said the last thing we shouldn't do, are not feeling as good about ourselves now because, you know, we're not as good at that one. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean like, hey, if you, if you notice that, um, I don't know, whoever is considered pretty is pretty, like they've broken the seventh commandment? No, that's not what it's saying. It, it, it's saying that if you... If, you, if your desire for that person, right, if you give free reign to it internally, then you're breaking the seventh commandment. Now, by the way, I recognize with every commandment, all of us have broken all of them to some degree, all right? So there is still forgiveness in Christ. The Ten Commandments are not how we earn salvation. I want to say that again. However, if we want to walk in love and we want to avoid being the boy in the giving tree story, right, we need to avoid selfish love. When we lean into a marriage saying, how do I get my needs met? This goes for friendships. This goes for all relationships. For saying, Am I, do I like the bargain I'm getting? Is this more trouble than it's worth? Am, am, are my needs being catered to? Am I getting what I want out of this person? We never use that language, but that's what often our actions are saying. We're loving selfishly. The nature of marriage, the nature of real love, is not a bargain to get what we want. 
It's a bond that we share with one another. And we are not to love selfishly, but love as Jesus has loved, right? Jesus didn't love us selfishly. If we're followers of Christ, then the patterns of our lives are to mirror his love for us. Does that make sense? So that's the wall. What does on the board look like? It looks like committed love. Committed love to who? First of all, to one's spouse, if you are married, and then to God. Uh, when we look at Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, we're going to see that commitment to spouse is the same as commitment to God. It says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Right, so commitment to one's spouse is also commitment to God. That's, that's the nature of covenant. When you take two people that aren't family and make them family, there's a third party involved, God himself. Okay? What does that look like in practice? What does staying committed look like? Well, um, one of my favorite things to do is a uh, obstacle race, right? Like I, if you've ever heard of the Tough Mudder, anybody? Yeah, we did. We, we did a, a few of us did an obstacle race. Amanda went down heroically in that one. <sighs> I feel bad about that one. Anyway, um, so the Tough Mudder, it's like, it's like one of my favorite things to do. Basically, it's a 10-mile run with a bunch of, like, while you're running, you have to go under barbed wire and climb over walls and swing things and swim under them. But at the, at the Tough Mudder, there's one obstacle right at the end. I, I'm not even sure they do it anymore for liability reasons, but it's called electroshock therapy. Okay, and what it is, is it's a, you, you have to run through this field of dangling electrical wires. I have a picture of it for you. That's what it is. There's electric current going through all of those wires. Some of it is just a tickle. Some of them will knock you on your butt and make you forget your name. Okay, and so I'm, I'm running. I come to the last obstacle. There's a crowd of people just waiting at the beginning of this thing, looking at it. And I was like, huge. Puncha. And I just, I just go running right for it, right? Just going to charge it. And I immediately, like first thing, hit one of the, one of the high voltage ones and I get, literally get blown back on the ground like, what just happened? And then I stand up and I'm looking at it with everybody else like, how do we get through this? Because you can't finish the race, like get the finisher t-shirt, which I realize it doesn't sound like that much on the line right now. It meant a lot to me at the time. <laughs> But we came up with a plan together. We said, you know what we'll do? All of us in waves are gonna lock arms and hold on to each other and we are gonna go through it locked arms and no one lets go till we're through. Right? We're gonna drag each other through it, all right? That, that's commitment. The hard part, you stay in it together and you hold one another through it. I don't want to say that marriage, generally speaking, is like an electroshock therapy, <laughs> but there are going to be hard parts. If you're, going to, if you're going to love someone for a lifetime, anyone who has been married for longer than 20 minutes is going to tell you 
that there are parts you need commitment for. There are parts of it that feel like, man, this is hard. I don't know how we get through this. But to keep the seventh commandment is to stay committed to the vows you made to one another. Here's the thing. If you're in a hard part of your marriage, it is impossible to get to the good part if you don't stay committed. If, if one of you is only partially committed, then there's not safety, right? To, to have a bond with one another, you, the, both of you need to feel safe with the other. And if one of you is half checked out, then it's impossible to have that safety, right? So if you're like, oh, I'm kind of into it, we'll see if it works out, you've already, you've already undermined the possibility of getting to the good part. Both have to stay committed. Now, does this mean that there are no biblically sanctioned reasons for divorce? There are some uh, Bible teachers who are brothers in Christ. I'm not going to body slam anybody. But they, they teach something called marriage for life. So even if, even if you know, you're abandoned, even if you're beaten, even if your uh, spouse commits adultery, that, that you get married and you're married to that person. Has anyone heard of this? Yes? Oh, a lot of you. Were you taught this? <laughs> okay, some vigorous head shaking in some parts of the room. All right. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 actually says, like, it if there is adultery, then the covenant is broken and, and the, the person is free to remarry. So the, the people who are teaching marriage for life want to be holier than Jesus. That's usually probably not. Is this move working for you, expressing what I want to say? It's probably, yeah. It's out-holying Jesus is probably not a smart thing for a Christian to try to do. Uh, the Apostle Paul, likewise, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, says that if someone is abandoned, right? If so, if, uh, if one of the, the spouses leaves the other, then the, the, that person is free to remarry. But one must uh, also take into account there's two ways to abandon. There, one is to leave. The other is to make it impossible for the other to stay. So in cases of, of significant abuse... Severe addiction, uh, right? Like it makes it impossible for the other spouse to be in the relationship. Is that making sense? Don't hear me say any reason's a good reason, right? It has to be a severe breach of the covenant, but there are biblically sanctioned reasons uh, for divorce. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that. Um, those of us who have taken vows or want to, if you take seriously wanting to be married to someone, commitment is an indispensable part of that to keep the seventh commandment. Why? Because Jesus loved us selflessly. We're not sitting there saying, am I getting a good deal here? Right? We say, I'm going to tough it out to get to the good part. We lock arms through the electroshock therapy part, and, we, and nobody leaves. But we don't aim for the minimum, do we? Right? We're aiming for love. We're aiming for the bullseye. And the bullseye in this, of the seventh commandment is to love your spouse as Jesus loves you. To love your spouse as Jesus loves you. 
That is, first of all, means die to ourselves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, how did Christ love the church? How did Jesus love us? He laid down everything, didn't he? Right? That, that's the call. And is this, this is like wives don't need to do this? No, we, we use our brains, right? This is, this is all Christians are called to love one another this way. Okay? But not only are we to die to ourselves, but we're to seek the good of the other. Uh, look at verse 26 and following. It says, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? So the dying to self is in order to seek the good of the other. That's, that's how Jesus loved us, right? He didn't just lay down his life for no reason. It was for our benefit. When this is our attitude, uh, for the rare moments we can truly manage it, Right? This is when marriage actually shines. This is when we can experience a bit of what it was meant to be, that, that two become one flesh, that bond. For those of you who have had someone love you like this, you know that it's, it's transformative. And the funny thing is, is that when you love someone like this, guess what they do? Love you right back like that. I remember um, when our number four, Rivka, was still quite small. I, was, I heard somewhere, and I was just telling my wife, Sharon, I was like, hey, uh, my favorite band, she knows my favorite band, you don't, Public Enemy was coming to town. I had never seen them. And as, like, I assumed, I was just saying, like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I had never thought she would say what she was going to say. I said, hey, honey, Public Enemy's coming to town. She said, you're going. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you're going to go. I was like, but no, 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 no. First of all, like, it's money we don't have. She's like, yeah, you're going. I was like, but, like, look at the showtime. There's, like, five openers to this thing, and it doesn't start till 9. That means Public Enemy doesn't go on till, like, 12.30. I'm home at, like, 3 a.m. I won't be able to help with bedtime, and I won't be able to get up with the kids in the morning. And she just doesn't matter. You're going. It's your favorite band. You've never seen them, period. And... Right? I went to the show, and guess what? I wasn't like, ha-ha, I got what I wanted. I was like, I was like, what could I possibly do for her? She completely died to herself and sought my good. How could I do the same for her? Because, right, that's when someone loves you like that, not with self-interest, but with your interest in mind, you know, you reciprocate. The funny thing is, of course we have needs. Right? We have needs for companionship. We have needs uh, for, for sexual intimacy. We have needs for rest. We have needs for recreation. All, all those things are true. How do you get them met? Well, if both of you are trying to claw your needs out of the other, guess what? You've got two little boys and no giving tree. <laughs> That's what's going on there. And if... One of you is trying to get their needs out of the other, right? Then you've got the, the selfish love of the giving. One of you is going to become a stump. It's only when 
we die to ourselves and seek the other's good that both get their needs met. Funny how that is, right? Almost as if the way of Jesus is the way we're supposed to love everybody, not with selfish intent, but with their benefit in mind. Like that's the way human society is supposed to work. Marriage is not a bargain. It's a bond we share. Jesus loved us selflessly, and so we are to avoid selfless love. We are to stay committed, and we're to love as Jesus loved. If you ever want a real love story, if you're feeling in the mood to watch a real love story, I recommend Shadowlands. You guys, those, some of you guys seen Shadowlands? It's the true story of C.S. Lewis. And uh, you guys may, not, may have heard of C.S. Lewis's writings, um, but he actually was a bachelor almost his entire life. And uh, he was, it was in his early 50s, I believe, he started a correspondence with an American writer named Joy Davidman. And um, she actually ended up moving to England. They were just friends, but her, her, she was leaving an abusive marriage. And so her and her sons moved over there. And they, they became like hanging out all the time friends. And they weren't interested in each other, just they were both writers and intellectuals and that sort of thing. Then um, something happened with her immigration status. And so C.S. Lewis actually just did, married her in a civil ceremony. Didn't, they didn't live as husband or wife. He, he legally married her so she could stay in the country with her sons. And then she was diagnosed with cancer. And on the same day that she was diagnosed with cancer, C.S. Lewis realized that he loved her. And he actually married her in her hospital room at her bedside with her laying in the bed. How's that for a bargain? He didn't ask, is this person gonna give me what I want? He simply loved her and didn't think about himself. She went into remission for a time, and they were married a total of three years, but then the cancer came back. He wrote a poem about his experience. I get poetry once a quarter. <laughs> it's called As the Ruin Falls. All this is flashy rhetoric about loving you. I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all friends, merely to serve my turn. Peace, reassurance, pleasure are the goals I seek. I cannot crawl one inch outside my proper skin. I talk of love, a scholar's parrot may talk Greek, but self-imprisoned always end where I begin. Only that now you have taught me, but how late my lack. I see the chasm and everything you are was making. My heart into a bridge by which I might get back from exile and grow man, and now the bridge is breaking. For this I bless you as the ruin falls. The pains you gave me are more precious than all other gains. We are not to love one another selfishly, but love one another as Jesus loved us. Please pray with me. God, would you guide and bless us into being true disciples, that the way that we treat those we are closest to whether it be family or friends and especially those we're married to, would not reflect the selfish 
self-seeking, self-serving patterns of the world where we would tear one another down with seeking our needs to be met, but instead that we could follow the example, follow the path of our Lord Jesus, who did not love us selfishly, but loved us selflessly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.